0: Okay, I'm glad you're here, uh, there's so much going on, we're, we're going to talk about brachis, um, the beginning, with beginnings, out of beginnings, God created the world, and um, there's just endless, endless, endless depths to uh, what the Torah is saying and how much the Torah is absolutely, you know, just, just compacting it into, you know, into words, into, into letters, it's, uh, it's really amazing, it's really amazing. I have a special, I think, I, I don't know, this is just a, just a little theory of mine, which is I think I'm so drawn to this because I, this is my birthday Parsha also. So I think maybe I have an extra connection why I'm so fascinated with, with Breshis. You know, we talk about it all year, so it's a privilege to be able to actually discuss it as the Parsha of the week. Um, let me just, before we go into it, let me just raise um, kind of a, 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 we'll call it a curiosity which is to point our attention to the fact that there are two cycles going on um, in terms of Torah and in terms of the calendar. So one cycle is the cycle of the, par- of the parshas, the, the portion of the week, and we know we, 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 we cycle through those, and we're beginning again. Okay, very good. But there's a question about that, because we know that whatever is going on in the Torah portion is going on in the world right like this is the truest deepest headline if you can whatever is going on in fact i heard rabbi wolfson schlita say so beautifully so poetically that god takes the letters of the parsha of the week and he weaves them together to make the fabric of reality so that's that that shows you how integral the, the parsha of the week is with what's going on in the world if that is the case why are we weed- reading Brashi's now Parshis is talking about the creation of the world. We just had Rosh Hashanah. Why aren't we reading Parshas Parshish like a few weeks ago? So you see there's a bit of a disconnect. And so we have, <clears throat> that's the second cycle. The second cycle is the historical um, wheel that's going around. So I'll give you another example of this, but it's, 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 it's the exact same idea. Um, Pesach, obviously Pesach, we're talking about leaving Egypt. But that's usually in the springtime. This year it's going to be in, in April. But, um, but all the Parshas, like from Sefer Shmos, Exodus, were, that's talking about us going out of Egypt, all those we read in January. So again, you see that there are two separate cycles going on. So, so how do we relate to the fact that it's Parshas, Breshis right now? Like that we're talking about the beginning, when we had Rosh Hashanah already. So I would like to just say on a very, very simple level, very, very simple level, that now it's time for our beginning. Now now we begin. In other words, we take all of the energy and all the work that we've done, and now it's time to put it into action. And I'm, I'm reminded of something that I'm sure many or all of you have experienced, I know I have, which is, you know, you go to a, a concert or a big sporting event or whatever it is, and then there are a lot of people who then look for their car for the next 40 minutes. <laughs> you know, they're walking around the parking lot, then they finally find it. Then there's like a traffic jam just getting out of the parking lot. And it's like, you know, it can be 40 minutes later or, or more after the show has ended. You know, so there are a lot of people like Brishi starts and they're, they're not starting their year for several months. You know, so, so there's a premium. If you just use your brain, you know, the person says, okay, I'm gonna beat the rush. My team lost several innings ago. <laughs> you know, I'm either gonna leave a little bit earlier or I'm gonna leave right now and just get into the parking lot and get out of here. So that's that's now. Now now there's it should be for all of us a sense of urgency. What is it that I wanna do? Let me just let me, let me just begin right now, you know? So so, so that's 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 bracious. That's bracious on on, on on another level. And um you know, I was once looking at the word brashis because, you know, the, the Zohar says basically everything can be folded into brashis. Like the whole Torah can be folded into the first word of the Torah, right? And, you know, it's, it's such a strong story, I, I have to tell it. So, so Reb Shlomo Karolach was on an airplane one time and he was sitting next to someone who wasn't Jewish who was interested in what he was doing because he was reading a, a Torah book, and I guess it was this time of year, perhaps. And um, and he, he asked Reb Shlomo, you know, what, what are you learning? What, what, what's going on? And Reb Shlomo showed him and and, 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 and and so he told him that, you know, so often it's translated as, in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He said, but in the name of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, really what it means is, out of beginnings, God created the world. It's a very much, much deeper, much, much deeper idea that the entire world is made out of the fabric of beginnings. Meaning that every single moment in life is actually a new beginning, for real. This is for real, you know? So, that means that a person is never stuck. And it means that wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, that at that moment you have an opportunity to begin again. Rabbi Nachman of Breslov talks about this. You know, so often we get frustrated and then we shut down and then we just want to stop. But he says at this point, begin again now. Just begin again now. And, And in fact, just the way God structured the universe, He's accommodated the ability to begin again at every single moment. So this is, this is actually huge. This is a life-saving Torah. And that's how the story ends. Because this person, you know, went on with his life. The person sitting next to Rapshulam on the airplane. And he had a big uh, downturn in his life, in his business. And um, he decided that he was going to kill himself. And so he locked the door to his office, and he opened up a drawer, and he took out a gun. And now he was um, left with a question that I hope No one ever has, which is, what should I do with the final moments of my life? And so he thought, well, you know what? I have a Bible here. Maybe I'll learn some Bible. So he opens it up, and he sees in the beginning. And he remembers that rabbi that he sat next to who told him, it doesn't mean in the beginning. It means out of beginning. And so he said to himself, well, if I can begin again right now, then what am I doing killing myself? And he put the gun away. And he started his life all over again, and he he started a spiritual community, and he contacted Reb Shlomo, and he told the story to Reb Shlomo, and I heard it from Reb Shlomo directly. He visited that community. So so this is this is deep. This is deep because what it what it testifies to is to the fact that. Um, Reality is probably very, very different than what we understand it to be. You see, where the world is very different from what we understand it to be. So often we make the huge mistake of thinking that, you know, we're like a a game piece on on a game board and we're going through you know, the, the winding candy land or life, or Monopoly, or whatever it is, and we're just this piece, and then the dice is getting rolled, maybe we're rolling it, maybe someone else is rolling it, and whatever it is, we're just proceeding along this path that's all set and finished. And it's, 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 it's much more than that. It's, it's this sense that um, God is actually never finished creating the world. You see, we've been saying something for many years, and I want to add. Adam showed me the from the uh, Kedushas lady, the Perdicta Berevi, something that 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 is just a companion piece to this thought we've been living with. I'll, I'll tell you it in a moment, and it, it it makes it even deeper, which is which is this idea. See, I always like to say it this way: Everybody in the world has the same question, which is. If there's a God and God is good, why is the world so messed up? Everybody has this question, whether they can articulate it or not. Why is the world so messed up if there's a God and God is good? And you need a very, very strong answer for this. And thank God the Torah gives an excellent answer, very straightforward, which is that the world isn't finished yet. It's not done yet. That is the answer. And that's why we're here. God made us partners with him in terms of finishing the world. But it's it's more than that, actually. It's more than that. Which is that the world and everything is an ongoing act of creation. It's an ongoing act of creation. And God is taking all of the energy, all of the mitzvot, all of the prayers of all of the people, and he's using that along with his own creative majesty, and he's combining them and remaking the world based on on what we're putting into it as well. So if, we're, if, if the entire world is worshipping idols and is just killing each other and being mean to each other and everything like that, you know, how do you make a, a house or a mansion out of, you know, like a, a small little thing of Elmer's glue and a few twigs? Like, how are you going to make a mansion out of that? right but imagine that you're just doing like acts of like kindness and, and and love and and like your Shabbos are like amazing and everything like that then imagine you've got the greatest builder in the world what what is the greatest builder in the world going to make out of those raw material? like palaces upon palaces right so this is something that never stops it never stops it never stops when we talk about ulama ba'am, when we talk about the next world so I heard rabbi Green put it this way um, which is that that well I'll, I'll just introduce it my own way which is that the perke Abos says that if you were to take all of the pleasures of the world all the pleasures that you ever experienced and you combined all the pleasure that you ever ever experienced into one giant pleasure that wouldn't even remotely compare to one moment to the next worth it wouldn 't even remotely compare to it because it would be so much quantumly higher so now how how do we try to wrap our minds around that right so I would suggest it in understanding it in the, in the following way: you know that there are different parts of your body like your your lips for instance, or your fingertips, whatever it is, that are more sensitive than say the heel of your foot, which is famously the least sensitive part of the body right so if you if you were to stick a pin, say, in your heel, okay, maybe you'll feel it, maybe you won't. But it would be very different from, say, sticking a pin in your eyeball or something like that. I mean, there's, a, you know, that would be, that would be much more intense, just because of levels of sensitivity, right? Now, imagine you were able to unrobe your soul, right? What would be more sensitive than your actual soul in terms of, like, just like, just like nerve endings. I mean, they would would be spiritual nerve endings, but nerve endings, I mean, what could compare with that, right? Now, imagine after 120, you were to take your soul and then, like, plug it into divine light. (laughs) Like, what would that be? What would that be? That would be, like, you couldn't even compare that to, like, to like, oh man, you can't believe like the Chalka Chalka trip at Hagandah's? Like, what? <laughs> are you are you a joker? You're talking ice cream to me? You know, I'm I'm talking about something that's like beyond, 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 beyond. But okay, so that's the introduction. Now here's what Rabbi Green says. Rabbi Green says that every single moment of that in the next world is a higher and higher pleasure, or a different pleasure. And would would he, he, you know, he gets very, he, very ecstatic when he starts talking about it. It's sort of like the soul is going, ah, 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 you know. So it's just like every, it's just ongoing, and it doesn't, it doesn't stop, you know. So that's that's the that's that's the next world, okay. So, so when we talk about. Olam Ba, What and I don't know if this is what the Berditrover Rebbe meant, but this is what I got from it, is that don't think that when we talk about the world being in a um, in a in a uh, regular state of being created, right, and then it, we get to the point of Mashiach, this this what we call the um, is you know the era of perfection, right, that all of a sudden everything shuts down and, and locks down. I don't think that's the case. I I, I think that it never even stops even then. You know what I'm saying? In terms of... Because keep in mind just a very simple model, which is God is infinite, and creation by definition on some level is going to be finite, at least compared to God. Right? Which means there is no end to the levels that a subset of God can experience because you never reach the ceiling of God. Because God has no ceiling, so that means that there is no, there is an endless flow to the vessels that God Himself is creating, and, and, and then God can endlessly expand the size of the vessels to accommodate more divine infinite flow. So so it never it never stops. Now now you'll see this like very fantastically in. In, um, in a phrase, which is a bit bit of a mysterious phrase. Uh, let me see if I can find it. We, we, we talk about it, we, we say it on, uh, at Kiddush, and we're talking about the, the seventh day. We're talking about when God makes Shabbos. I will find it. Okay. Oh that's uh that's a little bit over there. Okay, here it is. Okay. So it says um I'll read it in English. God blessed the seventh day, meaning Shabbos, and sanctified it, because on it he abstained from all his work which God created to make. Okay, even in English it's kind of like hard to understand. Um, okay, let me read it in in Hebrew. Here's the key phrase, Asher Bara Elohim la sos. It's using past tense and present tense at the same point. This is the point. He abstained from all of his work, meaning that he didn't do any, any more work. God didn't do any more work, which God created to make in the present tense. So, I'm finished with everything that I'm still doing. <laughs> that would be like a, a good translation. I am absolutely finished with everything that I'm still doing. <laughs> So this is what we're talking about in terms of the never-ending act of creativity of God. That that even when it reaches this form of Shabbos, which is completion, right? Even within that, God never stops this creative process and never stops raising the level. Is that is that clear? So so so, so now let's go back to what I was trying to express before, is that that's going on in terms of the world right now. That's not just sort of like the end point of the world. That type of of constant evolution, recreation, rearrangement of everything is going on right now. But you have to take your life seriously, and you have to take the opportunities that are presented to you seriously in order to see it. So for instance, every time you meet a new person, that is... A new opening right that's a new like gate that wow all the, all of a sudden there's like another person with another life with a whole another set of friends and a whole nother who knows what who, who's got a whole different opinion and like reference points and everything like that and you meet that person and all of a sudden it's like that's not see what I'm trying to tell you is that that's not a linear thing that's not you on a chess on on, on a on and a, and a, and a game board, and it's just sort of like, oh yeah, and then you're going to meet that person. No, who says you're going to meet that person? Maybe you met that person at a Torah class, and you only went to that Torah class because you put in some extra effort, or whatever it is. And now, because you made that extra effort, now all of a sudden you're existing in a different world. It's like multidimensional. It's, it's not just a one linear playing surface. Now all of a sudden there are different opportunities because it's a different world. You've changed your world. You've been in partners with God at that point in terms of redesigning the entire board at that point. And now, it, and now it's back up to you. And this is like the very interesting thing and the very challenging thing about being um, someone who takes God seriously. Here, here's what I'm saying. There's a danger in being quote-unquote religious. Let me, let me tell you what I mean by this. Is that... If you're quote-unquote religious, you say, okay, everything's in God's hands, and then sometimes, you know, if you really look into the shadowy aspects of your heart, what that means is that I'm not going to do any more work. I'm going to do a little work. (laughs) I'm not going to do a lot of work. A little work, because I believe in God. That's a problem. That can be an excuse for laziness, and it's not the truest expression of Torah. You see, you say, I'm doing this, God, and I'm putting it into your hands because, God, you're the master of the universe and you run everything and I love you so much. And God says, fantastic! And then he passes the bowl right back to you. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh, I have to do something again, right? I thought I just did it. It was such a beautiful prayer. And God's like, yeah, there you go. You're What are you going to do? <laughs> and then and then you've got to, okay, well, then I'm going to like re- work really, really hard and I'm going to turn in this assignment. And God, whenever I get on this assignment, whatever, however they receive this project that I've turned in, it's up to you because you run the entire world. And God says, oh, that's fantastic. And then he passes you the ball back again. <laughs> <laughs> and it never, it never stops. It never stops. It never stops. It never stops. And... And to the extent that we think it's stopped, we have to look into our hearts and ask ourselves: Have we just sort of given up? And have we? Are we now using our quote-unquote faith in order to um, really just because we're secretly lazy or whatever it is? What 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 actually is going on? So so that that's a real thing. Now I want to I want to talk about some, some things I got very excited about. These are some new things that I learned about Brachis. I guess you can never stop learning about Brachis. and um, you know, maybe maybe I'll just tell you one of my favorite stories in the whole world to introduce us. So, so, uh, so many, many years ago I, I had the privilege of attending the first class of a program called Israelite with uh, Rabbi David Aaron in, uh, in, um, in the old city in Jerusalem, and uh, it was the first class, the first session. He's standing in front of a blackboard, and he says, okay, what's the Torah? And so people raise their hands, and one person says, a book of laws. He goes, very good, and he writes down a book of laws. And someone else raises their hand and says, a book of history, and he says, very good, and he writes down a book of history. And I had, been, I had maybe a little bit more background than the people in the class at the time. And I raised my hand and he says, okay, what's the Torah? And I said, it's the infinite compressed into the finite. And he said, okay, let's hold off on that for a second. <laughs> so, but, but that's what it is. The Torah is the infinite compressed into the finite. And we're going to see just a little taste of that right now. Um, uh, because unless you understand that the Torah is not a book, anyone who thinks the Torah is a book doesn't doesn't is not at square one of what Judaism is talking about. The Torah is not a book. the Torah is the divine energy the the a, a manifestation of the divine energy that God created and maintains all of creation with at all times. He created the world out of the energy which we have in this particular form, in the form of a book. But this is just sort of like one manifestation of it. This is the infinite compressed into the finite. But all around us, everything around us is Torah. The world is literally made out of Torah. And you know, we have the tradition that there's 600,000 letters in the Torah and that there's 600,000 root Jewish souls that each are a letter in the Torah. So all of us right now are letters in the Torah. So that's just another way of visualizing uh, of the, the omnipresence of the Torah um, you know one of the things that I, I thought one time that I thought was interesting is that you know very like, like in, in Hasidic circles but also in, in, in yeshiva circles you see that there's a form of dress that, that people do uh, variations of which is it's a white shirt and then they have like a black jacket over it you know you see that a lot white, black and white and I thought to myself, that's kind of like they're making themselves like a letter in the Torah. You know what I mean? So <laughs> you could argue, why don't you wear a, a black shirt and a white jacket? But you know, you don't have to get too literal about it. You know, the, the 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 idea is even their garb is actually an expression of of their the fact that they're letters. You know, it's like pretty pretty cool. You know, so um, or you can say that the black that they're wearing on the outside is the letter, and that time and space around them is the white fire of the Torah. That would probably be a, a better, you know, and, and a, a better visualization of, of, uh, of what we're talking about. So, so anyway, with this in mind, um, if you look at the Torah, you actually just look at the five books, and you understand, like, this volume that I'm holding right now is half English, and then even half of the pages of the Hebrew are are not the actual Torah itself. It's commentary. Which means that we're probably talking about, you know, 25% of this would probably be the Torah. You know? So how can you fit all of reality and all of infinity into what is essentially a very tiny book? We're talking about a tiny book here. And the way, that, the way that you do it is with, you know, types of Torahs like we're g- going to learn in a second, God will, which is you realize that everything is just compacted and compressed and encoded, and it's all there because God is communicating on so many different levels. One is the simple, the simple meaning of the verse is one level, but then you've got many, many other tools and ways that God is expressing himself through the Torah. And the tzaddikim, the the rebbe's, they they're 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 plumbing the depths, right? And it's worth saying, just these are all introductions, but they're 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 very essential um, framework understandings because unless you know this stuff, you, you, you really don't know anything. So it's worth spending the time on. You have to understand something that many many people mistakenly think, especially in when you get into sort of like. Torah circles and everything like that. People really prize genius and things like that, but it really people get confused if they don't understand, which is that you think that um, there's a one-to-one correspondence between the level of one's intellect and the ability to understand what the Torah is saying, and I can tell you that th- that that is absolutely not the case. There is not a one-to-one correspondence between one's intellect. And the ability to understand what the Torah is saying, um, that that one who is able to um, refine their personality, we call it tikkun hamidos. One who's really to make themselves a, a rarefied, you know, human being, you know, in terms of their self-mastery and and their ability to contribute and to and to love and to be in awe of God and and to be very um, you know very 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 concerned and and, and with, with with god's with God's mitzvot with, with God's commands that this lifts a person and expands a person's consciousness so that then they're able to really understand depths within the Torah that 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 you cannot reach through intellect alone. And we have been privileged privileged massively privileged to have the most awesome Jews awesome awesome holy holy people who see that that that's the key word you see I I I feel like holy is a great word when it's talking about people obviously it's a huge compliment but I, I think that you have to understand really what the definition of what a holy person is a holy person is what I was just describing Holy person is someone who's mastered themselves and who's like really utterly concerned with other people and with, and with just with what God wants in the world, making their will God's will and and doing it in the most beautiful way and working very, very, very hard. Like if you do all of those things, then you're holy. Holy is not this, this sort of thing where now I'm wearing white and now I'm, you know, no, no, I don't, oh, I'm very sorry, I, I, I can't do that with you because I'm holy now. I don't know if you got my email announcing that I was holy. I was, I'm sorry that I made it a mass email. I really probably should have written you individually to tell you that I was holy. You know what I mean? So, so that's, that's, that's not what it is. That's not what it is. Okay? But then, but then we've had people throughout our history who, who have that. Who are that. And they they then become privileged to be those people that God wants to share his secrets with. You see, then God shares his secrets with you. And then we have recordings. We have recordings of the secrets that God told these special people. And they're called the Sifre Kodesh. They're called like, these are these are the holy books. If you walk into like a yeshiva and a base medrash and you look at the library, you know what that is? Those are the secret files. <laughs> those the, that's that's what it is. Those are the those are the whisperings that these elevated people have been able to receive in terms of plumbing the depths of the Torah, and then everybody else, all of us, get to read them, and then we get to read what God told this person, God, and everything like that. And of course, all of these things are consistent with Halacha, because God, because the Halacha is the structure of the whole universe, so they're all. Puzzle pieces, and then you put them together, and then you get this expanded, unbelievable vision of of where we 're at, so one of these people, one of these people um, well i 'm going to mention a few of them now because now we can now we can go into now when I, I mention one of these people, you know exactly what we 're talking about okay so let's um let's go into let's go into like the very the very beginning here. So it says, es, that's the key word we're going to go into. Es okay. So, uh, with beginnings, out of beginnings, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay. So now, very, very interesting. The first time I saw this was from Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. I don't know um, if, if he got it from someplace else. I, I imagine this is a very, very old thought. So, we know that God created the world out of the energies of the Hebrew letters of the Aleph base, of the, of the Torah alphabet. So we know that that's Aleph through Tuf. Aleph is the first letter of the Aleph base, and Tuf is the last letter of the Aleph base. And you can think of it in terms of physics. You can think that each letter is a different energy wavelength, if, or a different, you know, frequency of light. I mean, r- remember, When you start to learn, like, um, Kabbalistic thought and things like that, you are right in the middle of quantum physics. It's all quantum physics. But don't be confused and think that they weren't thinking on this sophisticated a level. They were absolutely thinking on this sophisticated a level. They didn't have the modern vocabulary, and they didn't have the math to support their concepts. But all of the math and the science is now catching up with what we've been saying from the beginning. So 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 we'll get into that in a moment. We'll get into that in a moment. But 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 I just want you to appreciate something so subtle that's in the Torah and yet so deep. Because it says again, Breshis Bara elukim S. So what does that mean? With beginnings, out of beginnings, God created not s God created the letters Olive through taf And with all of those energies of Olive through Toph, God then used them to make everything in the universe, right? Now, look what we have here. Now it gets deeper. And this is from the Mayor uh, Enaim, from the Chernobyl Redby, who's one of these, another one of these great people who we're talking about, who's hearing these whisperings, right, because of his <coughs> tremendous mastery of, of just being a human being, right, being a creature of God. So he points out, hey, wait a second. There's not just one S in this, in this first Pesach. Remember, this is the first verse of the Torah. You know, you can learn this for probably your entire life, the first verse of the Torah. So there's, you're never going to run out of ideas of what's contained in here. So, so he points out, wait, there's a second S in this very first verse of the Torah. B'reshiz barayelokim, S, Aleph through Taf, HaShamayim, S Ha'aretz. So so in other words, there's the olive through tough in terms of the creating of the Shemayam, the heavens, and then you've got a whole separate idea of the olive through tough in terms of the creation of the arts of the earth. Now, the way I understand that this is me talking right now is that we've got a very critical concept, which you must know, you must know because it's, it's absolutely essential to. Understanding the world and the making of the world, and it's called SimSum. Okay, so in we're going to talk about SimSum a little bit right now. So let's let's talk about it on a Torah level, and then we can talk about it on a science level in a second. So Simson basically, all of Kabbalistic thought is addressing one question: How is it that an infinite being created a finite space? Or how is it that God made something out of nothing? What was that process? What was that process? This is what all the questions and all the Torahs are, are revolving around. And then you're going to get into the sphere road, and you're going to get into all sorts of different articulations. But all of these things are basically addressing the question, how did the infinite become the finite, or, said a different way, how did something come out of nothing? That's, that's another way of expressing it. Okay? So, basically, basically what, what we say is the following. Before the world existed, there was only light. All that existed was light. See, that's that's important, because we, we talk about what we say, the, the Or in Sof. That's, that's the name of Hashem. That's one of the most things I've ever heard in my life to this day which is light without end. It's so beautiful. It's really, it's so beautiful, right? Now what's, what's important about understanding the concept of orain sof, light without end, is that people think very mistakenly and, 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 and actually in a um, troubling, even damaging way, people think that the world begins from the standpoint of darkness. And then God says, or, let there be light. But really the starting point of my life is darkness. That's absolutely not true. That's a very damaging orientation. The beginning of everything is exalted light. Your beginning is exalted light. It's not darkness. And then God says, turn on the lights. That's It's it's not what it is. It's not what it is. Okay. So God begins with light. Okay? Now, God takes his outer garment of light, so to speak, and he compresses that light until, and keeps on compressing it, keeps on compressing it, keeps on compressing it, as he's going, well, there's no time or space or direction, but you know, I'm expressing it as squeezing it down until there's something concrete and finite. And that becomes this world, which is made out of godliness. Now very important distinction now, which is that God therefore saturates all of creation, that all of of materiality is compressed spirituality, but don't say the following, do not say the following, God equals the world, and the world equals God. That is a limitation of God. God made the world out of godliness, (laughs) but God exists beyond, 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 simultaneously beyond the world itself. Those two points are very essential to have in mind simultaneously, that the entire world is made out of godliness, but that God exists beyond, 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 simultaneously as well, and that there's one continuum. Okay? Very important. Like, for instance, let me, let me tell you something. Imagine I, I, I draw a circle on a paper. OK, so that's two dimensions, OK? Now imagine I hold a ball in my hand. That's a representation of the circle. But now I've added another dimension. That's now three dimensions. Now, do you know what that ball would now look like in four dimensions? How about in five dimensions? How about in ten dimensions? (laughs) Like, what? I can't even be... I can't get to the fourth dimension. What are you talking about in ten dimensions? Like, what? So God exists not just beyond this world, but God exists dimensions beyond this world. Dimensions beyond this world, right? So you see, like, people are constantly, as Reb Shlomo would say, he would say, why are you making God so small? Like, people are making God so small all of the time. And, and when you realize how big God is, or at least allow your mind to try to, you know, get completely, you know, wigged out, you know? I mean, you, you realize that, oh, any limitation that I'm just ascribing to God, like, how does he know little me, right? Does he really care about this when it's so small? you realize that those questions are actually ridiculous. Because God's scope and all-encompassingness is so beyond anything that we're familiar with that the questions themselves are silly because they they they, 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 they diminish God so 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 disturbingly. Okay. So so let's go forward. So 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 I want to put that into just the language of science for a moment. And then we're going to get into, we're going to revisit what the Chernobler says about the two S's, Okay. So Einstein is talking about energy equals mc squared. He's talking about energy becoming mass. And and that's this process that we're talking about. We're using it, we're saying that light is compressed until it becomes materiality. But basically, it's, we're talking about the same thing. We're talking about energy actually is going to become mass. And Einstein is providing the math on how that's going to happen. Now, we have something called the Higgs boson, or the, the God particle, that won the Nobel Prize for Physics a few years ago. And that's talking about Simpson also. It's the amazing thing that we're, 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 we're showing how science is very much catching up with, with what Tori's been saying for forever. So what is this whole idea of the, the God particle? It's actually a strata of, of energy, and it's, taking, it's talking about if you want to say that energy becomes mass, then at some point the energy on the, on the way to becoming mass actually has to take on some aspect of mass. So where is the first moment where the energy passes through this strata on the way to be condensed down to materiality, when is the first moment where the energy actually acquires some aspect of mass? Right? When, when does that happen? Because you have, to, you have to present and prove that that actually does happen in order for this model to work. And in fact, they found that, and, and that, is, that is Simpson. That is exactly what we've been talking about. It's amazing. That's amazing. And then it just won the Nobel Prize for physics. It's amazing. It's amazing. But what's also amazing, not just that they found it, that we found it. It's amazing that this is what we've been saying for forever. You know? So, so let's let's keep on going forward. So again, keeping this model of the of energy becoming materiality. Now let's go back to the words of the Chernobyl. I'll tell you how I understand them anyway. Which is... Es So you have the olive through tuf of Shemayim of the heavens, right? So you have all of those wavelengths of energy on the level of the heavens, and then it's getting more and more compacted, and then you have the Es, the olive through tuf of Haaretz. Those same divine energies, but now it's becoming blessed. Now it's becoming on the level of materiality of the land. Do you hear? So it's very, it's, it's actually very consistent. Now listen to this. Now this is from the Maor Vashemesh, another one of these great lights, elevated huge holy individuals, right? So he looks at this, he says, okay, so, so there are 22 letters of the olive base. We're talking olive through tough. There are 22 letters. Listen to like what God whispered to him one, one day, right? This was a good day, right? He says, wow. And again, to see how the Torah is the infinite, you know, the, the, fi- the infinite compact into the finite in all the levels, look how clear it is once, once someone holy enough has the eyes to see it. Take the first letter, right? We were saying that God is doing it through the letters of the olive base, olive through tuft, which is 22 letters, right? He says, take the first letter of each of the words of this entire verse. The base from Breshis is 2, the base from Barah is two, so that's four. The aleph from Elohim is one, so that's five. Then S, that's six. Hashamayim, that's hey, that's eleven. Ve'e, that's vav, that's seventeen. Ha'aretz, hey, seventeen plus five is twenty-two. So, <laughs> so you take the first letter of the first words of the entire verse, and it adds up to twenty-two which is what we were just saying. These are sort of like the energies, the divine energies that God is using to create to create the world with. It's amazing. Now let's go further into, and it's right here. You just need the eyes to see it. How do you get to the eyes to see it? Be nice to people. Be nice to people. <laughs> and then you're going to see it. <laughs> it's not whether, oh, I got an A in, you know, chemistry. I'm the guy who's going to see it, you know. Good luck. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. Get an A in chemistry and then be really nice to someone. <laughs> <laughs> then you got a much better chance. Okay. Now, now the mayor of Ishemish says the following. He says, he, he, he wants to explain this phrase. Vayhi Erev, Vayhi Boker, Yom Echad. First there was night, then there was day, the first day, or day one. Okay? Now everybody knows the, the Jewish day starts at nighttime, right? It's nighttime. So so on a very simple level, you'll tell me, okay, so so God is just sort of laying out how the day starts. The day starts at night, we're learning that from this verse, right? First comes night, then comes day, the first day. Okay, so the mayor of Shemish says, okay. Sit down, relax. <laughs> just open up your eyes a little bit, tell you what's really going on over here. <laughs> Um, so in the beginning, God put a tremendous light into this world. It was a light that was so great that no vessel could hold it. So we talk about, we have a fancy term in Hebrew. We call it shveris achalim, the shattering of the vessels, right? There were no pots floating around in outer space. This is just language for us to wrap our minds around. It, okay. There were vessels. But the vessels couldn't contain this amazing light. All right? And then God made, says the Mower of a very important piece of information here, another simsum, another simsum. He contracted the world, his light, a little bit more. And then he put another light in. And then the vessels were able to hold the light. Okay, now we've got sort of like, now we've got kind of a structure to the universe that's going to flow from there. So, what he says is, is that when it says, Vayi Ara, Vayu Boker, first there was darkness, then there was day, the first day. What he says is, is that there is a light that's so great, that initial light that shattered the vessels, there is a light that's so great that for God it's light, but for us it's darkness, because we can't comprehend it. And that's when it's saying, Vayi er, vayi boker, yom echad, first there was darkness, and there was light the first day. What it's saying is, is that it's, we're not talking about darkness at all. We're talking about a light that's so great that we can't comprehend it, and so it manifests itself to us as darkness. You know, I was talking with my brother-in-law, and he said, you know, you have to be, and maybe I'm guilty of this right now, I don't know, but he said, you have to be very clear when you try to teach someone, because if you tell them, if you give them more light than they're able to get, then you're just giving them darkness. You know? a very, you know, scary thing, if you want to teach at all, is that, you know, you don't want to impart too much light, then the person is able to receive, because then they just receive it as darkness. You know, it's it's a little bit intense. So, um, the the Rebbes all say that the plague of darkness in Egypt was not darkness, that it was a light that was too intense for the Egyptians to be able to uh, experience at all. And it was just, it they experienced it as darkness, but it was a tremendous light. Not only that, but there's a medrash that says that when um, Avraham Avinu was buying Morasamach Pela, the cave of the patriarchs. So the Zohar says that that cave of the patriarchs where Adam and Chagor are buried, and, and all the Abos and, and, and Holy Mothers are buried in Hebron. That that's the entrance to the Garden of Eden. And that when Ephron looked into it with Avraham Avinu, Ephron saw it as this tremendously dark place. And Avraham Avinu saw the light shining (laughs) in it. So you see, you see that there is a ceiling, there is a ceiling to, just again, let's return to the basic model. God is infinite, we're his creatures, we're finite. God made our brains, God made our brains, right? See, what's so ridiculous and tragic and heartbreaking, really, you can cry a million tears over this, is that we use the brains that God gave us, that God created us, to tell God what he can and can't do. and even we'll use our brain which God created to say god you don't exist mm. it's it's like i mean i don't know to laugh to cry to be paralyzed i i don't even know how to react to that but that is the drama of the world that is the drama of creation so so yeah there is a light that's so gray but it's not it's not darkness it is light even though it appears as darkness to us. So, I'll tell you something. You know, we're talking about so many things. We can go on, but uh, I think I should start to wrap it up. So, um, I heard Rabbi Muskin tell this story. He he was telling it like it was a true story. So, I don't know. Maybe it's true. I don't know. But it's good, no matter what. He said that... Um, that a, a, a company, a shoe company, sent uh, a couple of representatives to Africa. This was many, many years ago. And they, the two representatives sort of like went to stake out two different territories, you know, two different areas. And the company gets a letter back from the first representative, and who, who writes back, abandon all of your plans. This is a disaster. No one here wears shoes, and it's a waste of time and money. Like, let's not pursue this. The second person sends a letter to the company that says, send 15,000 pairs of shoes immediately. No one wears shoes here. There's an incredible opportunity. <laughs> so, so this is, us. This is us. This is the world that God put us in. What are we gonna see with our eyes? What are we gonna see with our eyes? And God says, "You know what? It's up to you. I'm gonna whatever you want to see. You want to see that I don't even exist? You want to see that there's not even a plan? Go ahead. It's a, it's a day. You know. I'll meet you after 120 and we'll talk. <laughs> you know. So it's 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 amazing how much freedom we have. It's amazing how much freedom we have. And if you think about it, only a God who's truly all-powerful would dare give us this much freedom. You have to have a lot of confidence (laughs) to give us this much freedom and still be running the entire show. Right? You know, there are people, and this is something, I haven't seen anyone say this suck before, you know, because it's a little bit shocking when, you know, which is that people think, they won't say it because they don't, they're not able to articulate it, people think God is really weak. And the reason why they think He's weak is because they say, if He's all-powerful, why, why don't I believe in Him? Or why don't I believe in Him completely? Or why am I not doing His will completely? It must be that He's not that strong, because otherwise it would be so obvious that He's here, right? That I would do His will. But do you know how masterful God is, that he's running absolutely everything, and then simultaneously we can't even see him? That is like dimensions of mastery. That he can give us all the freedom of the world and then doesn't and then still is completely running the show. But then can you imagine, can you imagine, if we then have the eyes to actually see what's going on? that God made this world and we go, oh, no, 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 God, I know, I know, I know, I know. Then can you imagine what you're able to cut through and what you're able to accomplish and how you're able to be like a vessel for enormous light and change and beauty? That's, That's awesome, that's awesome, that's awesome, that's awesome, this is like, the world's greatest, greatest, greatest opportunity to be alive in this world during the period of the world's perfection. It's only going to be a limited expanse of time, you know? Like I saw a um, set of offices the other day. They were so beautiful. They were like out of a magazine. I thought it felt like Paris in the 20s to me, you know what I mean? I was like, oh man, this place is beautiful, you know? Like, you've had different periods of, of history, like, or Hollywood during the 30s or 40s or something like that. You know, pick your favorite era. But it's been limited. It's a small little blink. It's a little blink, and that's it. This world is also one of those limited golden ages. It's, it's you say, oh, it's going on for thousands of years. It's, it's a blink compared to the infinite expanse of everything. It's a blink and you're here right now we're all here right now during this time this is amazing whatever you think that era was the fact that God put you in this era, (laughs) right now this is really it okay so let's uh... let's start the year and just just hit the ground running and just it should be with lots of health and and, and bracha and success and productivity And peace and joy. Amen. 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 Now for some questions and answers. So you're talking about uh, darkness. Yeah. You know, uh, and you made a comment that uh, darkness is really this high, high, incredible light that we can't even yeah. comprehend. Yes. What about uh, you know, physical acts of quote unquote darkness, acts yes. that are right. you know, they're evil, yes. dark? Yes. How is that just the uh, how would we define that in terms of darkness? Is that uh, yeah. a different word that we're looking for, really? or is that Yeah, that darkness? would be a different word. That would be a different word. That. Well, But it's but they overlap. They overlap. That's us just... You know, I, I heard uh, someone say, Stan Levy, um, I, I he was quoted, and I I, I thought this was really interesting, because how do you explain the Holocaust? You can't explain the Holocaust, but I thought that this was a pretty good way of explaining it if you had to explain it. He said, What's so mysterious about it, right? He said, There were... Um, People who uh, did what they weren't... There were some people who did what they weren't supposed to do, and there were other people who didn't do what they were supposed to do. <coughs> yes, that's a pretty... I mean, if you have to take one of the, the greatest atrocity of humanity and boil it down to one sentence. It's kind of what it is, you know? So the darkness that you're talking about is... Yeah people are doing what they're not supposed to do. You know? That's, that's, that's what it is. Um, yeah. Reminded me of the Daph Yomi for today. Yeah. Daph Yomi talks about how it's better to learn Gomorrah than to learn Mishnah. Better learn the commentary on the Mishnah than the Mishnah. But if you had an Excuse opportunity me. to go to a Mishnah class or to a Gomorrah class, you have to go to the Mishnah class. Yeah. That's what it says. Interesting, yeah. <laughs> and it tries to resolve those two things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's cool. Probably when you're in the class itself will be clear. And then the more, the closer you can get to the fundamentals, the, be, the better off you're going to be. You had a, I'm sorry, I, I didn't want to take in the middle of the thing. No, no, sorry not, about that. Um, so you said that before everything there was this infinite light? Yes. But doesn't it say that it, it was Tohu, Vavogu, and it was like yes. this whole chaotic mess? Yes. So how do you resolve it? Yeah, so he says that was the mess of the shattering of the of the vessels. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's where you see it. That that, that was the... Um, that was the result of the shattering of the vessels. That's what he said. That's the m- m- more of a That's what he says. Yeah. 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 So what, what he was talking about, so it's translated as astonishingly empty. Yeah. Can you, like, elaborate on
1: Cause Well, a- I mean, it's
0: sort of, I guess, yeah. I mean, that. I, I, I probably can't do better than that, you know. it just, it's just, you know, Tremendous light went into vessels. The vessels couldn't hold it. They were blown out. And therefore, translation of your choice. (laughs) You know, like, how do you translate that? Yeah. So, interestingly, like, uh, they they, they talk about that being like Esav. You know, that that Esav was the one, in, in, in some ways, above Yaakov. Be, but asaph couldn't hold the light, you know, and 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 that era of the shattering of the vessels is it correlates with asaph which is very interesting because it's not so, so simple to dismiss asaph as a Russia as a wicked person. We know he was the the son of uh, Yitzhak and Rivka. Right, he's the grandson of Avram and Sarah. What do you you just say he's a wicked person? That how is that exactly? It's just there was so much light there, but he didn't have the vessels to contain the light. Right. So, yeah. Um, you mentioned there were uh, two sets of twenty-two letters. Yeah. Um, just yeah. Like, Breshis bara elohim s. Mm-hmm. That's olive through tuff That's the first twenty-two. Hashemayim. The S, that's olive through tough, that's twenty two Ha'aretz. So we're saying that the, the, the higher set, so to speak, is the kind of the light as it gets compressed from the higher realms down to this realm. Right. And the lower set is Is it further compression? A further compression. A further compression. A further compression. Mm-hmm. Because Simpson is always getting more and more compressed. Right. Until threshold- you have like tables, people, things like that. Right. And the threshold between yeah. the two is that a little threshold between where the two letters meet, I suppose. Yeah, I guess you can, it would be interesting to uh, analyze the letters in between the two S's. Yeah, that's a great idea. I haven't done that. But yeah, you could probably divine all sorts of things about the cosmos from that. I was just wondering if, um, as, as time passes, yeah. if there's an expectation, what well, sh- I guess it should be, that we have more ability to, con- to absorb the light. Like Noah was absolutely, no, Noah absolutely. Was a, a thousand percent because it says it talks about the I'm sorry, you weren't finished with the I was question. was Well I we had talk had. about we talk about God says you have to circumcise your heart. And then it's a very interesting commandment because on one in it's listed twice in the in the Tanakh. In one place it says, circumcise your heart and in another place it says I'm going to circumcise her heart. So either way, we're going to get our heart circumcised. But it's a very beautiful idea. The way I understand it on a deeper level is that, by the way, physically speaking, we actually have a fatty layer around our heart. And I, I learned that in kashras, that you actually have to remove this, this layer if you want to eat hearts. Some people have the tradition not to eat hearts, but other people eat hearts. So, you know, just like any other organ of the body, you have to prepare it. So, so anyway, there are all sorts of Laws of Kshatriyas about it, but you see that the the people who have actually taken out hearts and look at hearts in order to eat them talk about the fatty layer on the on the top of the heart. So so it exists, but on a more on a more metaphysical level, what it means is is that there's a blockage that's allowing us to absorb more, right? And that our um our borders are going to be expanded, and either God says. You do it, but if you don't do it, I'm gonna do it. So either way that's the destiny of humanity. So I have a question about what, what she had said. Yeah. Um, so if we're we're not supposed to be proselytizing, but if we're supposed to be orha Goyim, aren't we supposed yeah. to be teaching Torah to yeah. the nations? Absolutely, yeah. But and and you know, during in different eras of history we've been we've had different sort of like um, levels of Uh, our our profile has been higher and lower in terms of how much we've tried to get out into the world and things like that. There was a period of time when we were, like, really successful. And then, like, the other nations, like the Romans, started to get angry. And so, like, the rabbis were like, let's just cool it, you know. Like, we're kind of making waves, you know. Because Torah, basically, is the message of oneness. And oneness, like, everything is catching up with oneness. All of science, everything, the whole world is catching up. With the concept of oneness, it's becoming revealed in every discipline. Is the idea of oneness, and so, and Torah is the, the voice of that. It's the voice of that. So it's going to get out there either way. But um, but the main way that we get out the message is by being personal representatives in terms of our actions. Not in terms of our, our 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 speeches and things like that. It's about being a really solid, disciplined, loving person, and that transmits the light more than any anything that you can do. When you're an actual example, then you become a real transmitter. It's so it's more action than talk. Remember, mystically speaking, this. W- realm that we live in, this dimension that we live in is called Olamasiyah, which means the world of action. This world is not about talking about it or thinking about it. This world is about doing.